Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on This is a banger, Ken Miller. Yeah, I know. I like this tune. Catchy tune. <laughs> uh, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO with you until noon. Zuba Mahente coming up in about 20 minutes. That song must mean we're going to talk some Minnesota Twins baseball, right? I'm in. Yeah, I'm I thought in you for might that. be. Uh, I, I, even, I even jumped it. I got so excited to hear that song once again. And baseball. Guys going to be uh, making their way to ballparks throughout today. Mm-hmm. Now, the Twins, I mean, because the, they start tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Did they go to Fort Myers or did they go to uh, the Twin, Twin Cities? They're going to be in Minneapolis. Good. And I wonder if Nick Nelson or any of the Twins Daily staff, if they're going to be able to mm-hmm. make their way in and watch some of these uh, scrimmages happening there. Uh, Nick joins us. Nick, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. You can read them at twinsdaily.com. Uh, start with uh, Trent's question. Uh, will you guys get to see any of these uh, first of the three weeks of um, what are we calling it? Summer training camp uh, prior to the season starting. What did what have they told you about media availabilities? Uh, hey, nice to talk to you guys. Uh, it's uh, I think it's TBD at this point. You know, I'm mm-hmm. open minded. I think some of the other guys would be open to to going in and doing some coverage. But uh, you know, I think there are um, larger uh, media institutions that are going to have priority, and that's just sure. fine. Um, yep. You know, and I'm I'm I'd be glad, perfectly happy to be able to watch uh, watch on TV and do some analysis there. So. Uh, yeah, it would be fun to be able to get down to the stadium at some point this year, though, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, well, for these next three weeks, once they get through the, um, you know, for the first week of the practice, whatever, will they play inter-squad games? Is that is that how they're going to try and prepare for opening day, just strictly inter-squad? Yeah, you know, I think they've left the possibility open that there might be a few, um, you know, cross-team uh, spring training games towards the end of this little spring training 2.0 ramp-up. Um, but but my presumption is is it's mostly going to be intra squad uh, kind of scrimmaging, and, and I'm assuming that's kind of what's going to be happening going forward on the, the minor league or uh, B squad side. That's going to be over at the Saints Stadium in St. Paul there too. So um, you know, yeah, they're really not going to be able to have that build up where they get the true high level competition to prepare themselves uh, for for the real games that matter matter more than any games they've ever played in the regular season. So uh, that's certainly a dynamic that's going to be interesting to watch. A lot of Twins news to get into. One came out just yesterday about a couple of the older coaches on the staff and the Minnesota Twins uh, not allowing Bob McClure and Bill Evers to work games this season due to the concerns of COVID-19. Take us inside that story there. And the Twins as an organization uh, as a whole have been very upfront and uh, been one of the first teams to do a lot of different things. This yet another one of those stories. Yeah, you know, I think they've been doing the right thing at every step, uh, being very responsible and, and respectful to people and trying to adhere as much as they can to uh, the safety and, safety, and health, safety and health sort of protocols that are out there. And I think it totally makes sense. It sounds like those coaches are on board and understanding of what's happening. Um, I, I wondered a little, honestly, about Rocco, considering that uh, I believe he had like a um, 
autoimmune or muscular disorder or mm. something that, that caused fatigue and ended his playing career early. But um, from, I haven't heard anything to indicate that he's at any sort of heightened risk, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, that's something you have to keep an eye on, right? It's going to be interesting with even some of our, our rivals in the league and the division. Of course, Ron Gardenhire is over 60, and uh, he's mm-hmm. the skipper for the Tigers there. So um, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how many other teams take similar steps some of their more elderly coaches. Uh, indeed. Uh, Nick Nelson, TwinsDaily.com is our guest. Help me out with the Miguel Sano story that's uh, unfolding. And it's, um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who to believe. I mean, we we've seen we've seen baseball players or athletes, regardless, uh, go back to their to their home and uh, are are you know threats of kidnapping, family members, exploitation, those type of things as they try to you know take to take your money away from you. Um, what's going on with Miguel Sano? Is this potentially something that could back come back to his response? Could this get him in trouble with Major League Baseball, or what do we know about it? We don't know much, uh, you know, and I guess that's kind of the nature of these these ordeals that are playing out in these countries where uh, things things work a little differently, differently, right? And there's not much transparency. So, um, as far as everything that I've heard, and I understand there is not enough evidence to push this forward into anything significant, and it's basically going to be something uh, he's able to to travel back to uh, Minnesota and put behind him. Um, but, you know, it's not the first time that there's been a very strange story that's come out of the Dominican Republic uh, during the offseason mm-hmm. regarding Miguel Sano. And, you know, as much as you want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and it seems like maybe there was, um, you know, sort of foul play or bad intentions from someone else uh, occurring here, uh, it, it is it is it is definitely concerning to see him getting entangled in this kind of stuff repeatedly. And, uh, I don't know, hopefully this will be the last one. Some nuts and bolts uh, issues here, and starting with Michael Pineda, who was so good in that stretch before ultimately being suspended by 60 games. He served 21 of them, still 39 to go. I know there are a lot of questions with the reduced season, with the suspension. Pro-rate? Yeah, pro-rate along with it. Doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, though, Nick. Yeah, I, I I wrote about it today at Twins Daily. I just I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. It seems really really unfair to to Pineda. And, you know, I mean they're they're prorating a lot of other things, um, you know, for the purposes of this sort of shortened strange season. Um, and you know, uh, Pineda, I mean, he's already going to have. I, I guess my understanding is he already basically signed for a prorated salary this season, right? Because he was going to miss a certain chunk anyway. And so now he's going to have his prorated salary cut down, whittled down uh, to a very tiny amount, basically, if he's only able to play 20 games or whatever it may be. But um, so, so I really feel for the guy, especially considering that, you know, when the suspension came out and, and there was the step taken to reduce it, which which is all pretty much unprecedented, you know, it, it was pretty clear that this was more uh, demonstrably incidental. Uh, you know, it was determined that way by, by judges. So uh, it just really seems like he's getting a raw deal. But um, from the Twins' perspective, He's basically playing the Rich Hill role now that uh, that mm. Hill was originally going to play. You know, Hill was expected to be ready around the trade deadline when it was going to be on July 31st, and now the season's basically starting at that point. Hill's going to be ready to go, and uh, Pineda will be ready to join the team right around the, the new trade deadline, which comes on August 31st. Mm-hmm. So, I guess uh, the upside upshot there is that they'll they'll have a reinforcement coming in at the deadline for the rotation, and, and that'll lessen the need maybe to look to the trade market. Speaking of that rotation, you got Brios at the top. Odorizzi had a really nice year last year. Hill, Homer Bailey, Maeda. and Kenta Maeda. And that's the guy that I still wonder about. Played so many different roles for the Dodgers. They moved him around, and maybe some of that was financial as so much of his uh, finances come in and salary comes into ties, number of starts, innings pitched. But 
What do you believe Mayet is going to be? Is this a guy that they can plug into the playoff rotation if they ultimately get there? Is this a guy expected to be in the top three or four? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Maeda was uh, was one of the top starters for several years for a Dodgers yep. team that has basically been the best team in baseball over the past uh, several years. You know, he's been he's been serving in a number two or number three role in a team that's been winning 100 games, going to the playoffs. He's been, he's been making appearances in the playoffs. He's got that experience. So um, I think the new format, you know, as far as he's concerned, is um, is pretty good. I mean, he's kind of used to working in sort of a swingman role. Um, so I think he'll be sort of a flexible piece that they can use in, in whatever way they want, whether that's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they use their pitchers this year in general. You know, I mean, I think we'll see a lot of uh, sort of new experimental things going on, you know, guys piggybacking each other. Um, but Maeda is certainly a guy who, in shorter stints, has shown the ability to, to even level it up a little more. So um, I'd be curious if he kind of is, you know, less of a traditional full-time starter and maybe is pitching in sort of shorter four-inning stints uh, and really dialing up the stuff a little bit. And he, and he's nasty. He's got a chance to certainly be their top strikeout pitcher in the, in the rotation. Well, we know that they can hit home runs. As uh, nobody's done more than the, the Twins did last year. What what's the weakness on this team, Nick? Uh it's it's kind of hard to really find one right now. I mean, they they're really well built. Uh, they got a lot of depth. Uh, they got a lot of flexible guys on offense to kind of move around. Um, you know, which is going to be there's going to be guys in and out of the, the lineup this year. I think, and that's going to be a natural thing. They're pretty well positioned for that. Um, they've got great depth in the rotation. They've got great depth in the bullpen. I, I guess if you had to pick out a weakness right now in terms of sort of their championship aspirations, it's that they're just missing that that clear bona fide ace, right? That guy who's going to step up and be their game one, uh, you know, give them a pitching advantage in game one of the of the playoffs. And um, I still think Barrios or possibly a couple of these other guys have a chance to step up and, and take that role. But right now, there's no clear fit for that role. Record home runs a season ago, the rotation looking good, and, and they pieced together that bullpen incredibly well. By the time we got to August, September last year, it, it was lockdown. It wasn't just Taylor Rogers at the back end. So many of those guys came up in big roles. You got Sergio Roma out in the outfield with the shirt off being a goofball. It was such a fun group to watch last year. The one thing that I look at as a fan, a little bit of a concern, they bring in Donaldson. Guy that's been banged up and has had some of those you're gonna love them so- soft tissue injuries. Same thing with the DH Nelson Cruz. He's older, soft tissue injuries. With this compressed schedule, with 60 games, you lose 15 days to one of these guys. It's going to be incredibly impactful. Yeah, no, that's definitely a concern, and that's uh, that's something that I believe uh, you know be addressed on a on a conference call the other day. Um, I think the soft tissue thing is is something that they are they're worried about, especially with. As you mentioned, I mean, a guy like Nelson Cruz, who's, who's 40, um, I believe turns 40 on July 1st. Uh, and, you know, Donaldson's getting up there a little bit in age, too. And, and they don't have that, you know, they, they've been in this weird thing where they got themselves revved up in spring training, and now they've had to kind of step back, take their foot off the pedal, and now they're going to have to ramp up again really fast. I think the Twins are expecting sort of some hamstring, quad kind of issues like that. Uh, and that's where the depth comes into play. They got a lot of hitters, um, especially with this expanded taxi squad that they have available to them. Um, guys like Rooker, Larnick, it wouldn't shock me if, if we see those guys get a chance if some of these injuries crop up with their big hitters. Who's the team that they're going to have to beat in the Central? Is it still well, Cleveland? Cleveland is the obvious choice, but in the short season format, I do get a little more concerned about, about the White Sox. I mean, they're, they're a team on the rise, yep. these big prospects, and uh, you know they made some good moves. Uh, and I think depth might be their issue, but you know when you're able to sort of uh, swing things in a different way with this dynamic in the 60-game season... 
uh, and you consider the fact that one hot streak can basically put you in good position, uh, I think the White Sox are going to be a sneaky factor. But 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 the Indians for now are definitely the the top team to tangle with. They've they've earned that right. So you get the forty games against your division, then the other 20 games will be comprised of the teams of the National League Central. A question that we've heard uh, bandied about, and Ken and I have kind of gone back and forth on this, the Brewers would be the protected rival, if you will, from the National League. Do you know, are they going to play a couple of series against the Brewers? The schedule hasn't been released. What are you hearing on that other side with the crossover games? Yeah, my understanding, I believe, is that it's, they will play more games against the Brewers than the rest of the NL Central just because they have the closer proximity and, and kind of the rivalry factor. I think that will be a dynamic of the schedule that every team will sort of have a, a rival team that they play a little more from the other other division. But, I mean, the schedule, it works out really well for the Twins. I mean, the AL Central and NL Central are pretty clearly the two weakest divisions in baseball. So uh, the Twins are going to be able to get fat on some wins against some pretty bad teams in both those divisions. And, you know, although the Indians and White Sox play the same schedule, so it doesn't necessarily, necessarily give them advantage in the, in the Central race, uh, it is it is a factor, you know, when you talk about that wild card race, the Twins have a much easier schedule than teams yep. like the Rays or the Angels who are playing in the East and West. No doubt about it. Uh, my last thing for you, what's the uh, the governor of uh, Minnesota said regarding fans? Do you have any uh, uh, indication, will fans be allowed at Target Field? If so, it won't be like every seat, obviously. Uh, what are you hearing as far as fans at Target Field, if indeed Major League Baseball does leave it up to the individual states to determine uh, the capacity, uh, percentage capacity in their arena slash stadiums? Yeah, I mean, today was uh, the first time I've actually heard anyone say publicly uh, with Twins or otherwise that, that it is actually a possibility that they'll be able to reintroduce fans target field this season uh it sounds like they're going to completely leave it in in governor walls's court obviously he's been a little more on the cautious and conservative side i think uh with opening things up which which is smart mm-hmm. um so I, I wouldn't expect it to happen but um i think the possibility is there now that you know if things don't progress terribly in the next couple months that you could you'd be able to have i don't know at least a few fans per section uh you know i think there's some opportunities you could do with uh, fan giveaways or something like that, something to get people in the fans. And uh, I think that would be awesome. I, I, I've completely given up hope on the idea of watching baseball in a stadium this year. But uh, if, if it's able to happen in a way that's, that's safe and healthy for everyone, uh, I think that would be just awesome. But they're going to definitely take every cue from the state and the, and the safety officials on that. Final thing for you, dealing off the field, and of course, after the death last month of George Floyd, there's been so much happening, not just in Minnesota and Minneapolis, but across the country with the protests. We've seen them here in our state and in our city in Des Moines. Uh, Take us through that time, and do you expect anything to come out from the twin side, anything that they're going to do differently, anything that's going to happen after what Minneapolis has been through the last month plus? Well, I will say that uh, the Twins have, have really stepped up in a way that, to me, is uh, it makes me really proud of the Twins fan. You know, I think they've they've taken some pro- they've made some proactive decisions about it. You know, uh, whether it's making a, a twenty five million dollar contribution from the poll ads to support racial justice in our community, taking down the Calvin Griffith statue outside mm-hmm. of Target Field. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's a really good leadership group in place right now. They care about the community. They care about what's happening. Um, I would love to see some sort of continued emphasis and focus on that as the season goes on because, I mean, that's going to be the number one thing is keeping this on people's minds and, and not letting it fade away as the protests die down or the news headlines fade out, right? So I think that's going to be the key question. Um, but I, I think I expect the Twins to, to do right. They've, they've really impressed me with the way they've been handling all this stuff so far. 
at a super tough time in the city that they play in. Good stuff, Nick Nelson. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate us, uh, you giving us a little preview of the 2020 Minnesota Twins Your American League. Do we go there? No, 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 no. The Yankees the are still around. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Appreciate you coming on, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, good to talk to you. Uh, Nick Nelson from TwinsDaily.com. Yeah, they took down the Calvin Griffith. I'm not going to yeah. s- repeat what he said. You can mm-hmm. find it very easily just by going Google and uh, Calvin Griffith uh, statue removal. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. No, me neither. I'm a Twins fan. Yeah. My whole life. I saw. I know where they used to sit at the Metrodome in the box that they used to sit with because it was right in the section. I used to stay at the Holiday Inn in, um, uh, what do they call it? Seven Corners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a Holiday Inn and it changed. Been, it's a Radisson now maybe. Yes, I've been there. There's yes. a Grandma's Bar and yes. Grill right next door I've and a Bullwinkle's across the yes. street. Uh, so anyways, drive to Winnipeg and stay at the hotel. And it, it, it was a package, right? You get two tickets to the game and okay. you get a room. Um, maybe section 109 and you walk by the Griffiths suite getting up to the, the concourse level. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I had no idea that this guy was, you know, said the things that he did. You know, it's kind of incredible throughout the years and ownership change and the Polads took over ownership back in the 80s is they for so long were just known as this tight organization, mm-hmm. never going to spend. It's we're true. small market. Well, it's, yep. it's media market number 12. They, they were going to be contracted. Right. They were they were on that list uh-huh. and looked like baseball was going away in Minnesota. Nick mentioned twenty five million dollars from the Polad family being put in. You see what they have done for their staff, minor leaguers paid through this yeah, season. One of the few, right? One of the few organizations that have done that. Mm-hmm. People that work at Target Field paid. being paid. Yeah. That is such a change from the Polad family that we knew, and Mm -hmm. it goes back to the old man a little bit, too, and now it's his sons that are running things, but credit to them. They have the money. They're spending the money. Wish more ownership groups in baseball were doing the same. If you haven't already done so and you're a sports fan, and obviously this year's going to be different, but once we do get past the Target Field's a gem. It is. Absolute gem. I understand that my view is a little bit different as a fan, but I've been to a lot of ballparks. Mm -hmm, Me too. And if you know your way around it, that's another thing. Reach out to us if you're making your trip up there for the first time. There's so many different ways to get in. The train that takes you to the game, regardless yes. of where it's, it's just so easy. You don't have to worry about parking. You can get in and out, mm-hmm. worried about a train. It's easy. You hop in. It's a couple of bucks. It can get you. You stay out by the mall. I know a lot of families do that. Hop on the train. You get mm-hmm. there. You're there in 40 minutes. You get back after the game. It is set up incredibly well. It's a beautiful ballpark. And my thing, I told you uh, years ago, we went to, it was right after the 4th. So I want to say maybe six, seven years ago. My wife, it was before we had kids, went up to my parents for the 4th of July, then went up to a Yankees-Twins game. She got the tickets. Well, she got us really good tickets. Probably spent way too much for them. Right. But I told her the reason I love Target Field is because I like to go everywhere. Yeah. I like to go in the different parts of the mm-hmm. concourses and watch the mm-hmm. game. And my buddy that was uh, one of my best friends was in my wedding. He still works at the ballpark. He's a bartender up at one of the bars. He was at Hubert's for a number of years. Now he's the one <laughs> up in left field. And he is, uh, you know, just going around. That stadium is so different yeah. than almost anywhere. Don't get a great seat. Enjoy the ballpark I and all the different agree amenities. With you more. What was the Sov- Dome Souvenir Plus or something? Oh, that place across the street. Across the, the street. Yes. I mean, just a dump. Right? And I would spend so much. Everybody did. Yes. You go in. You go to Hubert's and you'd go to Dome Souvenir Plus. Yeah, that poor place. Uh, it was you're like you said a dump. It truly but you was. You could find everything. Anything. Mm-hmm. You want a Carl Eller jersey? Yeah. And that's where you go. You want to sign baseball by? I don't know. 
Now, who's, and uh, whoever. Steve Lombardozzi. <laughs> Steve Lombardozzi. Second baseman, Steve Lombardozzi. <laughs> That's where you went for that one. Oh, man. Probably not going to happen this summer. Excited to get my next trip. It's a great it's a great sports town is what it is, it the is. Twin Cities. Yeah. really is. All right, we'll take a time out. Come back. Zuba Mahente, Trent and I, around the world of sports with Zubin from Sports Center. Of course, Zubin formerly of WOI right here in Des Moines. Zubin next. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 106. A Bill Reichart Golf Classic. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Miller and Condon, just before 11.30 here on a Tuesday with you until noon. It's the Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Let's go to our friend Zubin Mahente. He joins the program as we go around the world of sports with Zubin. Zubin, how was your week? How have you been? I'm doing well. What's up with you guys? Well, just uh, anxious to put June behind us, turn the calendar to July, which means we may have live sports, including Zubin. Uh, and it's been no official announcement yet. I'm hoping you can uh, break some news here. The Sunday Night Baseball is indeed going to be Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer to start the season. Boy, wouldn't that be juicy, Zubin? It seems like uh, July is going to be a very important month. Uh, there's some checkpoints that need to be passed along the way. I know it's big. I believe Bill Moose at, uh, with Nebraska the AD over there said that there's a, not a drop-dead deadline, but uh, they need to know something by the third week in July, uh, pursuant to whether, indeed, the season is going to start on time. Baseball, dot, dot, dot. Seems like July is going to be pretty important, Zubin. Yeah, I think the real issue with July, vis-a-vis March, April, May, and June, is that especially in March, and we saw this with baseball, we saw this with the NBA to a degree, you can continue to keep pushing back things in March and in April and in May and in June, even though many of these sports were going on. And for sports that have longer runways, like the NFL, which doesn't start until September 10th, or college basketball, which doesn't start until September 8th, they're kind of on the sidelines. They don't have to say anything. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Ken, because you're at a point where you can't really go to July. I guess technically you can, where you can say, we got to hold off again. Because at a certain point with the TV networks, with collegiate sports, welcoming students back, you're at a point now where there's no more. Because I remember with baseball, we were supposed to start on March 26th. And then Manfred's like, let's give it two weeks. And after two weeks, it's like, let's think about it a little bit more. And in those particular months, those were fine. Those are the right things to do regarding safety. At this particular point, safety obviously is still a paramount issue. But you just don't have the luxury, in my mind, of pushing things back anymore. You almost have to, you know, be firm. Either we're doing it or this is a lost season. Yes, they can continue to move things back, but I just think at a certain point with logistics, with everybody kind of set the NBA, with everything that's going on down there, Turner, ESPN trying to get into the bubble, MLS trying to get into the same bubble there at the wide world of sports. At this point, if it's not going to happen, I don't think you can push it back any further. ESPN Zubin Mahente joining us here. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Zubin, uh, with baseball inching its way back, we'll see the players out there for their first workouts coming up tomorrow. The logistical hurdles that we still have to get past. Let's say we do. 
and we get baseball, and there'll be some players, as we saw Ian Desmond, say that he is not going to play. I think there were five of them yesterday, a veteran major leaguers that said that. Yeah, Zimmerman amongst them. 60-game schedule, a compressed schedule. Is this going to bring fans back? Is this something that is going to get a newer generation of people involved and excited about the game? Well, I'll say two things. You're right. Obviously, Desmond, Zimmerman, and then uh, Mike Leak as well. Leak, so yep. there are guys that are doing it. Um, I, I kind of agree with something Ken said, I think, on our segment last week. And I've kind of thought about it and said to myself, you know, the more I, the more I think about this, the more I think Ken is right. And that is, if baseball is going to return before the NBA and the NHL, and that certainly seems like the case, and obviously before college football and the NFL regular, I do think, as you pointed out, Ken, People are just going to be thirsting for anything. And I think when teams arrive tomorrow, there'll be a crush of media. I would suspect that ESPN will be bringing in as many teams as possible. And I don't think I'm breaking state secrets here. In a normal year when 15 teams go to Arizona and 15 teams go to Florida, we're not bringing in comments from all 30 clubs. We're not. But this is a situation where everything is on the table with regards to attention, with regards to the ability to win. And that's why I think, Trent, to your point, Baseball is going to be able to bring in some fans. Number one, for Ken's point, if nothing else is going on, despite all the gloom and doom about baseball, it's going to be a unique, unprecedented setting. So even if you're not steam heads like you two guys, I definitely think there's enough people that are going to want to tune in and be like, let me just see what's going on here. Let me just experience what baseball is like to exist. And secondly, look, you know, the Chicago White Sox, the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, who won 47 games last year. I mean, complete non-entities. The Orioles. All of these teams, I'm not saying are in the hunt, the Miami Marlins, but all of these teams, because they're going to be navigating COVID, all of these teams are going to be relevant this year. As we know in the NFL, all 32 are relevant. You and I can talk on every Tuesday about any team in the NFL and people in your audience would be interested. I think it's hard-pressed to say that's the case with baseball outside of your regional teams. But right now, with what all these teams are facing and the fact that there's a 60-game schedule and the fact that we're going to see different levels of strategy – and the fact that every club is relevant right now because if the most anonymous team in baseball has an outbreak, they're suddenly the most relevant team in baseball just like that. So I think from that standpoint, baseball is going to see some increased awareness, and we'll see how it rolls once the other two sports, namely the NBA and NHL, start their postseasons. If I'm watching a day baseball game uh, next month or in August, and the NBA is playing games all day long, it'll be interesting yep. to see how the ratings work out, uh, you know, because they're going to play all day and all night there mm-hmm. at Disney. And it'll also be very interesting to see how some of these TV networks are able to fit all of these things into their schedule because there's going to be a glut of sports here. There really is. You know, Zubin, this it uh, slipped my mind uh, that we actually have live sports. Uh, we talked early in the program. I'm even, I was even going to watch MLS, and I still am, my cranes. Uh, go, uh, right, Trent? They're the Cranes? You got it. Yeah, it's the Cranes. Yeah, you're <laughs> a Cranes fan. Yeah, I'm a Cranes fan. Um, the tournament starts on Saturday, Zubin. I forgot all about that. Um, and that's, you know, I, yeah, I thought it was better than anticipated last year. Now, granted, we had an Iowa in, a team in briefly, um, but it was still a little bit of a buzz. And once they got eliminated, um, I continued to watch it. I believe Trent did as well. This is, they're calling it the fully quarantined uh, there's uh, somewhere along the, uh, they're, they're using that as part of their promotional uh, fully quarantined tournament. Will Frischilla and company be there to broadcast these games, remote broadcasters? How are they going to pull this off, Zubin? I know ESPN obviously is uh, it plays a huge role in it. 
Yeah, I don't know exactly. You're referencing the TBT, which is going to roll from July 4th to the 14th. Yeah. Uh, their website is thetournament.com. It's at the uh, Nationwide Arena in Columbus. Columbus. Yeah. It'll be 24 teams. Um, basically, they're hyping it as 24 teams, 10 days, one location. For most people, that one location will be <laughs> in front of their couch. Uh, but it's one of those things where I'm not exactly sure what the plan is with regards to sending people there. But I would guess, if I just had to guess, I can't imagine we're going to have anybody on site. Generally, regular season college basketball games uh, can be done remotely. Mm -hmm. We've been doing it for a really long time. Uh, At first, it was a cost-saving measure. Other networks have done it as well. But I think the majority of fans really don't realize if they're watching something with the announcers remotely or they're watching something there, which is a sign that it's working. So I would imagine that we would continue to do that. I do remember last year, Trent even hit me with a little text after the uh, the legendary Iowa attack lost. I think I <laughs> came on and did Sports Center right after that, and Trent and I were kind of talking about it. So there is definitely regional interest, yeah. and it is fun to watch. It's brought the Elam ending into the open. Yep. Uh, people love watching basketball all times of year just because it's a recruiting dead period, and the NBA is off in most years. This year, not so much, probably. But it's one of those things where you look at it and say, uh, this just promotes basketball all year round. But if I had to guess to answer your question, I would say no, um, just because at this particular point, uh, it just seems like we are being really, really cautious. I don't have that 100%, but my guess is is he'll be watching it off of TV just like you and I will be. ESPN Zubin Mahente with us. Zubin, uh, watching you on Sunday night, I didn't text you after this one, but the announcement of Cam Newton to the Patriots, Huge. it was suddenly, all right, much watch Sports Center again because we had some real news that went along with it. Thought you and Levy did a really good job, and he told me before we came on, Levy said it felt like a real Sports Center, huh? Nice. It, it's funny because we actually, not only do we have a real Sports Center, we had a real lead in. There was a great story on the 10 year anniversary of how the decision came mm-hmm. together. And it was really interesting. If you really like TV and you really like to go behind the curtain, if you can find it, Somewhere, I, we tend to replay a lot of these types of shows, but it was fascinating. They talked to ESPN, ESPN executives, uh, John Skipper, the former president, uh, who left in a not-so-great way. He came back. He was a part of it. Just inside how it worked out, it's really interesting for people that wanted to go a little behind the scenes. We had a good lead-in. We were on at 10, not 11. It's Sunday night, hmm. but a little bit earlier. And Steve said, yeah, we're sitting there at 9.55. We've got Adam Schefter. we got Dan Orlovsky. we got Cam Newton's greatest plays. We've got all these things lined up, and we're pretty hoofing it. I'll give you a great story that Levy said. Once the show started, we actually were able to calm down, and I was listening to you guys yesterday, and you had mentioned the golf with the U.S. Open moving from Fox to NBC in a you know, out-of-nowhere Sunday development. After we finished all the Cam Newton stuff, we're sitting on the set. We were either in a tape segment um, or we were in a commercial break, and, and you know the news popped into Levy's phone about the uh, move from the USGA from Fox to NBC. And our director, Eric Disher, who's been involved in SportsCenter and a lot of golf over the years, said, I got, a, I got a funny story for you about it moving. And I said, what is it? He goes, when Scott Van Pelt signed off for the final time when our last uh, year of the U.S. Open, when we were doing the first two rounds, he wanted to indicate how difficult it is to do a U.S. Open and how difficult it is to do golf in general if you haven't done it. And his closing remarks were something to the effect of, you know, you just can't drop out of the sky and do mm-hmm. the U.S. I Open. remember that. So next year at Chambers Bay, Joe Buck yeah. apparently comes on. I don't remember this part. He comes on the air and goes, we've dropped out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and we're here broadcasting the U.S. Open. So sometimes karma's tough because, as we know, they're, you know, 
that didn't go particularly well. I think it got better as the years went on. Me too. Uh, Chambers Bay was a tough place to start, but it was just a little fun during the break between Levy and I. Pretty kind of cool story as uh, Fox's golf tenure has come to an end. Yeah, and apparently, Zubin, their uh, their World Cup might come to an end, too, and there's speculation that you guys are going to get that back in 2026. Remains to be seen. Uh, you, you mentioned Dan Orlovsky. He's got a new gig uh, as there's a whole new team at NFL Live. Very popular. ESPN's NFL Live. Wendy Nix sat in the host chair for a long time. Riddick and Rex Ryan part of it. Now it's going to be Laura Rutledge. She will anchor. She's tremendously talented. Mina Kimes, who is a uh, rocket ship her career. Spears Orlovsky and Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, shake up at NFL Live, Zubin, uh, but a, a pretty good team, potentially-wise, anyway. Yeah, I think the thing with Orlovsky, I'll give you a, I'll give you a great story. I'd never worked with an analyst that had done this. And you'd appreciate this, Ken, Bronco fan. A couple years ago, when the Browns were desperately trying to make the playoffs, there was a Saturday night game. I think it was uh, Cleveland at Denver. Saturday night game. And Baker Mayfield drove the Browns down to win the game in the final second. And what ended up happening was when we did the highlight on SportsCenter, so it was a Saturday night, it's over, let's talk about it, we'll wait for the guys to get out and talk to the media, we bring Orlovsky in. He had basically just started for us at that point. And he was referencing as a quarterback the guts Baker Mayfield had on a play. So he went to the line of scrimmage and checked, and then he checked out of the play as a rookie quarterback, that's a pretty gutsy move. Your season's on the line. Are you going to do this? And if it fails, you're just going to get crushed. Coaching staff's going to crush you. He does it anyway. They score a touchdown. And basically that leads them to the victory. And when he did it, he telestrated it for us. And he just brought us in, showed us some hand movements. Here's this, here's that, all that type of stuff. And then when he was done we come back out on camera to talk about something else. And I'd never heard an analyst do this before. Actually, he used the iPad and just did all of his, you know, gyrations on the screen and all the coming and going. He goes, I, wait, wait, I got to show that to you again. And I'd never been there where an analyst literally was so impressed by a play, but just going inside the play, the thought machinations of the quarterback, where he actually said, that's how it happened. They've scored. And I was just about to ask the next question. He goes, I got to do this again because there's like three or four other things you've got to see from this play. It was a very non-TV sort of thing. We're very sort of linear. We're planned out. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. But that's the day I kind of knew this guy was going to be a little bit different. A, he wasn't going to deal with the TV norms. But B, if he felt like he missed something and the fan could learn something just by showing it one more time, he would do it. I don't think anybody else I've worked with would go back to the well to show you something he just showed us. And that was an interesting little sidelight to how he thinks. And he's done a great job for a decade in the NFL. And he played here at UConn locally, so there's a lot of people that like him around here just in these parts. Zubin, last thing for me. Uh, you talked a little bit about the 10-year anniversary and the uh, documentary that came out talking about that, ESPN's backstory. They're working on another one. Apparently this won't be out until football season, but it's a hour long on Manti Teo, his career, and of really? course, yeah. Lene Kakua, his fake girlfriend, as he was catfished uh, back during his Heisman Trophy winning uh, second place finish that season. That one, uh, was very intrigued about that, and it, it feels like without sports, obviously, there's more time for this, but ESPN continuing to dive in, not just with the 30 for 30s, but a lot more on the documentary side. I got to tell you, to me, that was still, despite all these years later, 
that was still one of the more bizarrely undercovered stories of its time, because you've laid it out, Trent. I mean, how bizarre is the whole situation that he was setting up? Stories like that just don't tend to go away, especially in our sort of Twitter, social media. Everybody's ready to just hand it to somebody else, give somebody else a pound of flesh. I have found that this story, while I distinctly remember it, as you mentioned all the details, it's sort of kind of gone away. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but just kind of in the culture that we live in, when something as ridiculous as that happens, it just never goes away. It's always sort of attached to the person. And listen, as soon as you say the word Manti-Teo, that comes up. <laughs> but it's just one of those stories that after a, lo- after a while, it just sort of died down. But it just had all of the attributes, sadly, that make a story sing in 2020. Controversy, big-time school, big-time player, apology. I think he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame was a great team last year. Those are just the sorts of stories that just sort of linger. And thankfully for Manti Teo, who I don't really know, but I'm sure is a fine guy, thankfully for Manti Teo, that has really receded into the background. But in general, if you took that story in a vacuum, it would be a story that would be cracked on for sports talk radio for years and years and years. But it has really receded. And, I, and I'm glad to see that because I'm sure that was a pretty difficult period for the kid to go through. Yeah, I'd never heard of the term catfishing. Uh, up until that point, I had no idea what it was, and uh, yeah, he brought that to the forefront. Uh, incredible. Well, let's let's finish up on this uh, Zubin NFL wise. I guess the uh, commissioner is uh, green lighting training camp uh, full go at least as we sit here on the last day of June. But July the twenty eighth, I believe, is the day that uh, training camps are going to start. I still think it's a long shot that we're going to see any preseason games. I just don't see that. I, I believe a couple of weeks ago they uh, came out and they've, at least for the time being, barred joint practices, which I I just don't know what kind of football we're going to see. If there's no preseason, if there's no joint practices, Zubin, when we get to week one, NFL might look different uh, than we're used to, uh, assuming we get to week one. I would agree, because I think the best sign of that at this point is the cancellation of the Cowboys-Steelers Hall of Fame game on August And I think that's a precursor. And, you know, this is sort of going against the NFL's mandate of let's wait until the last second. Now, obviously, this situation could be different because it's coupled with the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony, and you don't want everybody traveling or canceling last minute for something like that when you've got former players, former, uh, you know, Hall of Famers, family members, fans. If that were to be the case this year, obviously it's not. But I think being attached to the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony is probably the reason they had to cancel the Cowboys-Steelers game as early as they did, because the NFL's MO would probably let this go on just a little bit longer. You're right. Uh, preseason schedule to start August 13th. That seems really questionable with regard to at least having a four-game preseason, and then you go from there to September 10th. So I would agree with you, but I think the league canceling the Hall of Fame game is the biggest indication that if anything else happens, we'll be ready to curtail, if not cancel, the entire preseason. My guess would be they would have to curtail it because I think in terms of player health, safety, and just rust, it would be really rough to go out there on September 10th or September 13th or 14th for most teams and just start playing. So I would think a curtailed preseason is probably the best. Not totally canceled, curtailed, and probably the harbinger of that is that the Hall of Fame game has already been canceled. So uh, they're not itchy about doing it if they need to. Enjoy your holiday weekend, Zubin. I'm assuming we'll see you on our television sets. Are you working this weekend? 
all through the weekend. Mm-hmm. So I'll see you there, maybe in and around the TBT, and uh, we'll talk next week. Good stuff. Thank you, Zubin. Appreciate it. You Good to talk to you. Zuba Mahente uh, from ESPN. You know, along those lines, you see Jeff Hughes' retweet this morning. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles have sent to their season ticket holders, if you deferred. Previously, this is the notice that they had sent out, which kind of seems ominous. Previously, you deferred your 2020 season ticket payment till July the 1st. We do not plan to process this payment as scheduled. We'll communicate additional information regarding the 2020 season following the 4th of July. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Ooh, that's a little ominous, don't you think? Oh, no doubt. NFL teams say, no, we don't want your money. What does that mean? No tickets, limited tickets. That's, I think limited is maybe the way that we're going to... Proceed. We've heard so much here in our state about 50% capacity, mm-hmm. 25% capacity. What do you think is going to be that right number or the number that we're ultimately going we to see? We just don't know. Because 50 even does seem a little high. Yeah. I mean, it's we just don't know. It's, it changes every day. It does. I just saw a tweet that if you're flying to New York from, I think there's 15 states roughly, 12, 15 states, including Iowa. If you go to New York, you have a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Oh, wow. So if you fly to New York, you get to stay in a house and not leave. For, Pack your bags for, for two a while. weeks. It's how not just you, to how, change of clothes. How do, you, how do you police that, though? Right, right. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're trying to come back, you haven't quarantined for 14 days. Uh, Can't get back. Maybe. Uh, we'll take a time out, come back, finish up the program. Miller and Condon till noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Woohoo! All right, Miller and Condon, final couple of minutes of the program. Thanks for being with us here today. Murph and Andy coming up at two, the Fanatics at four. Do you remember, Trent? Uh, were you able to bet the tournament last year? The basketball tournament? The basketball tournament, yeah, with the, the one that starts on Saturday. It's so hard going back. Well, it wasn't legal at that point. Oh, it wasn't, of course. Because <laughs> we had to wait till August 15th before it no. happened. Now, of course, as you know, that didn't stop me no. from betting before August 15th. I don't think I fired at those games. All right. I, I, I would assume that they'll put a number. Wouldn't you think? Oh, maybe it's just um, with limits. Yeah, for isn't sure. that kind of? I mean, absolutely. All these little niches that we're mm-hmm. talking about. Ultimately, it's well, going to bet come on down ping those. pong from Russia, <laughs> right? You should be able to bet on this. I would think. Uh, I talked to a friend just yesterday that did that, and uh, didn't go well. <laughs> no, seldom does. Didn't go well. Uh, Cappy will join the program tomorrow. Looking forward to catching up with Cappy. It was good to get Tommy Birch in here to talk about some of the young guns and maybe get an opportunity uh, with the big club this year. But David Kaplan, uh, Trent, and I uh, tomorrow. It's I think he's going to be early in the show tomorrow. He's on vacation. Where's he at now? There's palm trees and mountains. That tells me Arizona. Makes right? sense. Going to a hot spot. Yeah. No spring training down there. No, I don't know why. He was already down in Arizona. He was, yep. Yeah. But uh, he was. Uh, he did a little video from a pool, and I reached out to him during a break. <laughs> and yeah, he's, he's he's good to go. So we got Cappy tomorrow. We'll talk about the Cubs, talk about the White Sox. Nick Nelson, if you're a White Sox fan, mm-hmm. he covers the Twins. That White Sox team, I hate their bullpen, though. Do you? That's the Achilles heel, you think? Like the rotation, what okay. they did. Mm-hmm. I uh, Gio for White Sox fans that haven't seen Gio Gonzalez throw. Yeah, prepare yourself. He is slow. He is right. awful, awful to watch. But he's effective. Mm-hmm. Usually mm-hmm. four and two thirds, three and two thirds, kind yep. of that kind of guy. But oh, he's had a long career too. Yeah, he's had a long career. Uh, what do you think about the three batter minimum? 
that's the one rule that I just don't like. I, I, I'm all for change in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. That's the one that I'm having trouble wrapping my arms around. I can buy that. It's it's different. Yeah. Is it really going to speed up the game? I don't know if it is or not, Trent. I, that's that's my whole per, that's my whole point. For National League fl- fans though that are clamoring for you no know, not getting going to have the DH now involved. It's true. Well, this will lead to at least a little bit more. You have to think a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Managers are not just going to, here's a lineup card. Automatic, yeah. I'll see you in three hours. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, thank you for being here. Scott Dockerman, great piece on Alex Karras. Highly recommend it. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. One of mine, one of Trent's. We both liked it. We're both athletic subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Nelson and, of course, Zubamante. Appreciate them all. Appreciate you for being with us. We're back tomorrow with 10 Fanatics. 4 o'clock, Murph and Andy, 2 tomorrow morning, morning rush at 6 a.m.